question the way God answers that question. Answering the question, who am I? But before I get preaching uh, too soon, let me just announce a couple of things. It is uh, 4th of July weekend, and I wanted to make sure that you're aware that uh, tomorrow uh, the Marymount Village is celebrating the 4th of July. There'll be fireworks. If you're uh, here and want to be here, be a part of this, in the parking lot at 7.30, we're going to be out here. Katie's got a popcorn machine. It's all the kiddos. I'm looking at all the kiddos. We've got a popcorn machine and popsicles. 7.30 in the parking lot. Time to celebrate uh, together tomorrow night. Then, Wednesday night, this week, is our monthly prayer and worship gathering at 7 p.m. I want to encourage you and invite you to come and be a part of that. It's just a time of worship, intercession. We ask the Lord to do whatever He wants to do in that service. By the way, we ask Him to do that in every service, uh, but there is an intentional focus of pursuing God um, on Wednesday nights. So please come 7 p.m. this Wednesday. This is our one prayer and worship night of the month of July. So just want to make sure that you're aware of that. It is 4th of July weekend, and I want to give us an opportunity to, to pray together for our nation. You know that Paul told Timothy to pray for kings and rulers and those in authority. Isn't that what he, isn't that what he said? And so we want to pray for our president. We want to pray for our vice president. We want to pray for our governor. We want to pray for them. We want to pray for our nation. So let's just enter into a time of prayer together. I'm going to give you freedom to just pray as you feel led. You, want to, you may want to pray out loud. And if multiple people are praying out loud, fine. Jesus can work it out, okay? So I'm just going to open us up into a time of prayer. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And we thank you for the great privilege and freedom that we have to worship you, Jesus. Thank you for this nation that offers us the freedom to worship you. We acknowledge brothers and sisters all around the world that do not have that freedom. And so we thank you, Jesus, right now. We thank you for this nation. We thank you for the freedom to worship you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be witnesses of your kingdom that we are citizens of heaven while we live here in the United States of America. So we thank you for this nation. And we lift up our governor, and we offer prayers. Hear our prayers. Yes, Jesus, we ask that your kingdom would come, your will would be done here in Cincinnati and in the state of Ohio as it is in heaven. Would you come? 
And Father, we pray for our president, President Biden. We pray for our vice president, Vice President Harris. For all those in the three branches of our government, we lift them to you in prayer. Hear our prayers. So, Father, again, we thank you. Thank you for this weekend. We thank you for a time to celebrate, to remember, to be filled with thanksgiving. And we ask again that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done here in the United States of America as it is in heaven. May the glory of Jesus fill this place. May hearts turn to you. May knees bow before you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen, amen. Okay, we're beginning this series on identity. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, I wanted to share the, the theme scripture for this series. And it is from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 to 20. Paul, in, in the context of talking about sexual purity, so I'm acknowledging the context here. In the context of talking about sexual purity, Paul writes this. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Somebody say, I am not my own. <laughs> Okay, Paul just said, you are not, I'm going to try not to preach this passage, I'm just supposed to read it. You are not your own, Paul writes, for you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Here's the big idea of this series just want to give us a, a framework for what we're, what we're trying to say in this series. We have a creator and redeemer who has fashioned us and purchased us by his blood. We are his, and he defines us, not the world, friends, family, accomplishments, or even ourselves. We are his kids, and knowing what the Father thinks about us will change everything. That's the goal of this series is to communicate this to our hearts. And I just want to say something I've learned. Having secure identity in Christ is not a static thing. Y'all hearing me this morning? It, it is such that I have to remind myself of gospel good news, not just every day, sometimes minute by minute through the day. Are y'all hearing me this morning? There's, there's something to mental assent to our identity with the creator and the redeemer of all things, just knowing that actually doesn't do it. <laughs> it is living a life where I am walking in this identity. So we're going to take our time in this series because we need it. I need it. 
selfishly, I need it. <laughs> so there's part of me that's like, hey, let's just take our time with identity, our identity in Christ. So that's the goal of this series. We have a creator, we have a redeemer. He has fashioned us and he has redeemed us, bought us. And he gets to tell us who we are. Here's the message that we're going to do, four parts. Number one, I just want to do a real quick work on worldviews. Biblical worldview versus our current worldview. There are multiple worldviews happening right now in our culture, but I want to identify one in particular. Second part, we want to look at just a biblical understanding of identity, starting in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Third, we want to look at who am I to God, and I just want to look at the way Jesus, God, the second member of the Trinity, describes his feelings and his, his intentions and his perspective on us. From Luke chapter 15, three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, the prodigal son. And then finally, we're going to have some application time and some ministry time together. We'll have prayer teams that will come and pray. Sound good? Let me pray for this message, and then we'll jump into the text. Abba, you are our Father. We thank you for your presence here with us. You are a good Father. In fact, you are the best father. You are kind and compassionate and holy and righteous. And you have shown your great love for us that even while we were enemies of yours, you came and died for us. And Jesus, we honor you. You are our king. We yield to you again this morning. We yield to your word. And Holy Spirit, you are the teacher, the comforter, the challenger. And as we sang earlier, Holy Spirit, would you help us to fix our eyes on Jesus this morning? We honor him, and we honor you, the triune one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, worldviews. When I say the word worldview, I'm, I'm referring to sort of a philosophical category. Worldview is, and I know that's about to sound a little bit intense. I'm not doing a philosophy class up here. Um, but we are all functioning with some sort of worldview, whether you realize it or not. A worldview could be considered like the lenses by which you look at the world. Does that make sense? So the, the glasses that you put on when you experience life is your worldview. And everybody has them. You may not know what your worldview is, but you have it on. It's the lens. It's the frame. It's the glasses by which you look at everything around you. And multiple people are experiencing multiple worldviews all at the same time. People at your work have multiple worldviews. I want you to know that. <laughs> the people here in this room have multiple worldviews. The lenses by which we look at the world, by which I operate my life from this lens. And it's important to understand that there is a biblical worldview. 
And in our culture right now, and by the way, it's not just right now, but it's been happening throughout history, there is a battle between worldviews. Did you know that? <laughs> like when you go to work, yeah, you're doing your job, but there's also a battle at work over worldview. <laughs> there's a battle over what the way we look at our situation, the way we define what's happening in front of us. So there is a biblical worldview, and then there are many, many other worldviews happening. And our current worldview, um, and Carl Truman has done a lot of really good work on this. I'm going to recommend a couple of his books next week. I'll get into that. But the worldview that is very pervasive right now is called expressive individualism. Expressive individualism. It is a dominant worldview right now in our culture. I've just listed a couple of things to describe it. Worldviews are trying to answer the question, what's good, who's good, what's bad, who's bad? How do we get the highest good for the highest number of people? That's what worldviews are trying to answer. Expressive individualism is answering this, this way. The highest good is individual freedom, individual happiness, self-expression, and self Definition. That is the highest good. If we can create an environment where the majority of people can self-express, then that is the highest utopian place that we can create. That's what the worldview is saying. Does that make sense? And by the way, as I'm talking, you should be like, yeah, yeah, that, I'm feeling that. I mean, I didn't think about that, but yeah, I'm feeling that normally in our culture. The social ethic in this worldview is tolerance of the individual. So that is to say, whatever an individual is feeling or thinking or understanding, we need to say that is true. We need to affirm that. Whatever it is, we affirm that. That is the highest social ethic. And if we don't do that, what happens? There's social pressure that says, well, that's bad. That you're not doing the good thing. Does that make sense? So you can actually feel pressure actually on your mind and on your heart when you don't engage in tolerance of individual self-expression, okay? What's rejected in expressive individualism, what's ex rejected is external authority, and what is celebrated is individual authenticity. So it goes like this. You can't tell me what's true, because what's true is on the inside of me. And if I could just get there and and let it out, then that would be the greatest good for me to take my truth and to get it out on all y'all. You know what I'm saying? That was a little provocative. That's not, that's not fair. It's just to, if I can express my inner truth, that is the highest good. I want to be fair. I don't want to have straw men. I want to be fair with this worldview. So the summary is, being true to my feelings and my experiences and my understanding of my identity, this is why I'm taking time with this, being true to those things is most important. And our feelings take precedence over everything else. What I feel is more important than truth. Feeling is truth. That's where this worldview is coming from. So I'm just taking my time just so that we're walking through it. By the way, most TV shows that we watch, and I'm, listen, I'm not an anti-TV guy. Like, I watch Netflix. I love it, okay? But most shows that we watch are expressing this worldview. Did you know that? <laughs> most songs that you listen to are expressing this worldview. 
So I, I, I just want to make sure that we're aware there's a battle for worldview. <laughs> and it is regularly coming at us through all kinds of forms. And here are the main questions that all worldviews are trying to answer. They're the questions of history and destiny. Where do I come from and where am I going? That's one question that's being answered by every worldview. Another, answer, another question that's answered is, who am I? It's the identity question, which we're going to be looking at in this series. A third question is about community. Where do I belong? Who are my people? Where is my tribe? That is that question. The final question that's being asked in all worldviews has to do with meaning and significance. What is my purpose? Do I make a difference? Those are the questions that are being answered by all worldviews. So what do we do with all that? My suggestion and our goal for this series is to say there are many worldviews that are asking all these questions. We want to make sure that we're answering those questions biblically. So that's the goal of this series. So let's look at a biblical worldview of identity. Genesis chapter 1, we'll move into part 2. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. The Bible says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. Somebody say own image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Foundational truth is that all of humanity is created in the image of God. That is a primary identity marker for us. Males and females created in the image of God of God, that He created us, and He created us for purpose related to the cultivation of creation itself, of the natural creation. But primary truth, we are created in the image of God, like we have a creator, and He has created us in His image. And sometimes the concept of image is a little weird, like, what does that mean? Like, does God look like us? Is that what that means? (laughs) One way to think about this, and it's not the only way, but one way to think about it is when you look at another human being, you are in fact seeing a signpost for what God is like. That when God created humanity, and I see another human being, I see someone who has infinite dignity, value, and worth because they were created in the image of God. Does that make sense? And this is an important distinction because in our culture right now, uh, it's, the way we argue is to do this. Instead of arguing your point, I'm just going to demonize you and, and, and consider you to be morally bankrupt and not worth listening to. But we lose image of God language with each other. You know what I'm saying? So for my Republican friends, if, if you look at a progressive leftist and you say, that's a terrible evil person, you are violating the image of God over their life, that they have inherent dignity, value, and worth. You know what I'm saying? And for my Democrat friends, if you look at a Christian nationalist and you're like, that is a morally evil person. I I don't want to have anything to do with them. That, 
then we are violating the very image of God. Does that make sense? I'm just trying to give us categories for the way that we honor and respect one another, even though we may disagree. And I'm using, obviously, very dramatic examples of those two far-right and far-left examples. But we are created in the image of God. What's important that we understand that the Creator Himself tells us who we are, gives us meaning, gives us identity, gives us purpose. So the Father identifies us, not anyone else. I was just thinking about an illustration that would be helpful for this. And I I brought two things up here. One of these items is from Israel. This is a, a wine glass from Hebron. Not to nerd out too much, it's made in the Phoenician style. I learned that while I was in Israel. Sorry, that's so nerdy. Wine glass. The other thing, good old-fashioned hammer. Now, the concept is this. The creator of the wine glass is communicating purpose and meaning. Isn't that true? So, the one who blew this glass literally is thinking to himself, I'm making this for a very specific purpose. There's, there's an identity here. This glass is going to be filled with wine, and it's going to be sitting at a table, and there's going to be people all around drinking and laughing and telling stories. The artist, the creator, has said, this is what this thing is. It's designed to hold wine so that people will drink and celebrate together. Is that, is that fair? You know what I'm saying? And the creator of this thing said, you know what? I'm a master at metal and wood. I've created this thing to take nails and to nail them into other pieces of wood, right? That's the purpose by which the creator said, this is what I've fashioned this thing for. Now, imagine a world where this wine glass becomes sentient, which is another way. Let's, let's imagine this wine glass now has a brain. The wine glass says, you know what? I don't want to be a wine glass. You know what? I want to be a hammer. Like, I don't feel like a wine glass. I feel like a hammer. I, 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 I'm looking over there at this hammer, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, how awesome that that hammer gets to nail that, put that nail into that piece of wood and, and construct this amazing table. I, I feel like I should be a hammer. Now, what happens when the wine glass comes up on a piece of wood and a nail, and a wine glass goes, what happens to the wine glass? It's destroyed. Further, what happens if the hammer goes, you know what? I'm done with this smacking stuff around. I'm gentle, okay? You know what? I'm a wine glass. Here we go. Here we go, here we go. I'm going to pour the wine what happens? It spoils the wine. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? The creator, the creator determines identity and purpose. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And if, if I decide I'm going to be something else, I destroy myself and people around me. The creator, the artist gets to say what something is and what it is to do whether it's a wine glass, whether it's a hammer. 
And it's the, it's the working together of these identities, these unique identities. We're going to talk a little bit about that later in the series. But I just want to illustrate that. Wine glasses don't get to decide their hammers. And hammers don't get to decide their wine glasses. There is a creator and an artist who has said, you're a wine glass, you're a hammer. Now you may say, okay, what does that mean for me today? Because <laughs> that's a lot of abstract stuff. Let's look at Jesus. Luke chapter 15. A lot of head stuff. I want to go after the heart. I feel like the Lord wants to go after the heart as we finish this message. Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells a story, tells three stories. I'm arguing that these three stories describe God's heart towards us, towards all of us. So if you ask the question, who am I to God? What does he feel about me? What, what does he think about me? What is his uh, perspective towards me? Three truths about identity with three parables. We're going to start with the first parable. Actually, we're going to start with verse 1 of chapter 15. Luke writes this. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him, that is, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So let me just paint the picture real quick, because there's a lot going on in this text, just in those first two verses. So you have Jesus, you have Tax collectors and sinners. By the way, in that culture, they were identified as sinners. When it uses tax collectors and sinners, it's an identification statement on religious and moral grounds. Does that make sense? So we're identifying these people. Those are the bad people. Those are the, morally, those are the immoral people, tax collectors and sinners. So we already have categories in this culture where we're identifying different people by category, by religious behavior. Are you all seeing the text? Just make sure you see it. So there's tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus is receiving them. They're drawing near to hear him. And then you have another group, the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're grumbling. The Pharisees and scribes are finding their primary identity in their moral and religious observance. They are identified, follow me, they are identified by their morality. Tax collectors and sinners are identified by their immorality. And these Pharisees and scribes are grumbling. They're saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They're saying, doesn't he know who they are? Doesn't he understand their, their identities? You're like, we don't associate with those people. Are y'all following me here? Like, we don't, we don't hang out with those. They are identified as morally reprehensible. We don't hang out with them. Jesus, why are you hanging out? They're grumbling. So in all of that context, identity of immoral, identity of religiously moral, and Jesus. In that context, Jesus tells them this parable, verse 3. He says, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, 
For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I want you to see that the way God sees you, the way that he sees us is lost and vulnerable. Did you know that? (laughs) He sees us as lost and vulnerable. He uses the analogy of sheep. You know this, that sheep are dumb. Sheep like to wander off. Sheep like to ignore what the shepherd is saying. And then, oh, squirrel. I mean, they weren't doing squirrels, but you know what I'm saying. There's a distractedness. Wandering off, vulnerable to predators. And Jesus is telling this story from the heart of God. God as the good shepherd who goes and rescues his lost and vulnerable sheep. And in the rescuing and in the bringing back of this sheep, there is great joy. I want you to hear that the Father's heart towards you is the kind of heart, like a parent that is looking out for its kid who has wandered away. I want you to know that, that God's heart towards you is I don't want you to be lost, I want you to be with me. And I will go to great lengths to get you back is what God's heart is towards you. That he sees the vulnerabilities of your life and his heart is towards bringing you to himself. Some of you are dealing with some stuff today. And you need to know that God's heart is to bring you to himself in that circumstance. We live in a world that is dominated by fear and anxiety. And there is a good shepherd who is running after every single one of us. His heart is for you. So much so that we find out that Jesus says this, He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. You see, Jesus going to the cross, Jesus on his way to crucifixion is a good shepherd rescuing us. Are you all hearing me? Jesus going to the cross, being crucified, nailed to the cross, that is in fact the good shepherd rescuing his sheep. The lostness and the wanderingness and the sin of our brokenness is actually placed on Jesus. So that all the sin that we have actually committed, all those thoughts that go through our head, like we all know this, like deep down inside, there's something broken and off, right? You can actually feel it. Like there'll be thoughts that go through my head. I'm like, what in the world? There's stuff that I say and do that I'm like, what is this? There is actually brokenness between God and us such that we, have lost, we are lost, we are wandering from God. And God says, I love them so much, even while they're enemies of mine, even while they're running away from me, even as they're spitting in my face, I'm going to go and I'm going to die for them in their place, for their sin, for their brokenness. I'm actually going to take their, their sin upon me. The Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin. Jesus actually became your sin at the cross. Did you know that? Jesus became 
your sin. It was exchanged at the cross. And by grace through faith, when I come to Christ and say, this is my shepherd who has died for me in my place for my sin, there is an exchange by faith that my sin is put on Jesus. His righteousness is put on me. And now you and I, by faith, get to walk as kids of the king, as sheep back in the fold, (laughs) restored to God. So part of our identity, it's important that we understand this. If you don't know that you're lost, you don't realize you need a savior. Are y'all hearing me this morning? And oh, by the way, even if you've come to faith in Christ, tomorrow you may find yourself in a situation where you still need a savior. (laughs) And by the way, I'm going to say you you will find yourself in a situation where you still need a Savior. I'm not talking about being saved every minute. I'm not talking about being saved every day. I'm saying that the trajectory of my salvation is Christward all the time. Does that make sense? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, the great hymnist wrote. Even believers have a tendency to wander. So understand... He understands our weakness. In fact, the Bible says that we have one who understands and was tempted in every way just like us. He understands that we are lost and we are vulnerable, and he comes to get us. Secondly, we are all precious and valued. Look at verse 8 to 10. Luke 15, 8 to 10. Jesus tells a second parable. He says, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Two identity statements about us that Jesus is communicating is that we are precious to God and we are valued by God. Some some of you need to hear this this morning. That the Father, Son, and Spirit see you as precious and valuable to Him. You may say, but Jamie... I have not lived this week as someone who deserves to be precious and valuable to God. Is that fair? (laughs) I know that's how I feel. (laughs) When I look back at my week, I think to myself, how could God see me as precious and valuable based off of the stuff that I've done this week? What's great about the gospel is that your value and worth to God has nothing to do with your behavior and achievement. It works like this. God sees you as precious and valuable not because you obeyed him this last week, but because he chooses to love you. Are y'all hearing me? I, I lived so much of my life 
thinking that the Christian walk, if I read my Bible every day, then that means that, he, that God loved me more that day. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. Like if I read my Bible that day, then he loved me more, right? And if I prayed 15 minutes versus not praying at all, like he loved me somehow in my mind, it was like proportion, like 15 minutes more of love. Does that make sense? Like there were things that I would do. Like if I was a pastor of a church, I would think that he loved me more, right? If I raised my kids right and they didn't disobey, then somehow he loved me more. But the good news of the gospel is we are so infinitely loved by God, he has shown it to us in Christ. And my obedience to God does not earn more love. My obedience is because I have been infinitely loved in Christ. Do you hear this? The the obedience is, is compelled by the love of Christ towards us. We're not obeying so that he will love us more. We are obeying because we have been infinitely, inexhaustibly, eternally loved by God in Christ that God would die for us. It's fantastic. And yet the enemy will whisper, well, you know, if you preach a bad sermon... Maybe he won't love you as much. Right? I'm just being honest. (laughs) Well, if I don't make my quota this quarter, then I'm not really being the provider that I should be. My identity is such that I'm not really as good as I think I am. Y'all hear me this morning? I think the Father wants to root each of us to such a deep-rooted understanding that what you do will not earn the Father's love more. It is your faith in Christ by which you receive infinite love and acceptance. It is by grace through faith in Christ. You are precious, and you are valued. And look at, look at the text. I love that God is describing himself as a woman who is like, have you ever been on those things? Like you lost your keys, and you are like doing like the weird contraptions under the bed trying to, you know what I mean? And like you're moving stuff. You're almost like obsessed. Like this language seeks diligently. It's not like casual. I wonder where this could be. La, la. No, there's an intensity. There's an intensity to this woman searching Jesus is coming after you is what I'm trying to say. He seeks diligently for you. And by the way, tomorrow when you're at work and you start getting all weird in your identity, he is coming after you. Like he wants you with him at work tomorrow. when, When you're with your kiddos and you're teaching them and identity starts to get all wrapped up in their obedience to you and their understanding of the text, he's coming after you. He's seeking you. Do you hear me? You are precious. And valued by God. And oh, did you know that God knows how to throw a party? All these parables, we haven't even gotten to the other one. Goodness. 
All these parables have God when he has his kids back throwing a big old party. Do you notice that? It's great joy. You see, when I return, I return to the Father, Son, and Spirit, my identity gets off and I start to believe that I am what I do. And I return. There is great joy in the Father's heart because his boy, Jamie, is back. And the same is true for every one of you. Like when you practice the presence of the Father, Son, and Spirit tomorrow, there is great joy when you spend your day with the triune God all day. (laughs) Did you know that? You bring joy to the creator, the eternal, pre-existent creator of the universe when you walk with him in your true identity. You bring great joy. One of the passages that really shook me when I was dealing with this It's from Isaiah. God writes about his people. He says, Be not afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my sight, and I love you. And for a time... I was actually in a a youth choir, and we would sing this song called Be Not Afraid. And in that youth choir, we would memorize the songs that we would sing. This youth choir would sing every 8 o'clock service every Sunday from memory. So it gives you an idea of the church that I grew up in. And we were singing these scriptures. So as a freshman in high school, I'm singing these words. And over time... Those words have been used over and over and over and over and over again by the Holy Spirit whispering in my ear, you are mine, Jamie. You are precious to me, and I love you. And I would say that the most transforming voice that I have ever heard is actually the voice of of the word of God speaking identity over me. So just by way of application, I just want to encourage you. You're struggling with your identity, who God says you are? Look for these identity statements in the the scriptures. He's telling us who we are to him. This is what this word is. Not reading, not consuming the word, not asking the Spirit of God to to show me who I am in the text, who who he is and who I am in the text. Failing to do that is failing to understand who I am to God. So I just want to encourage you to re engage scripture reading, not to check off the box, but to find out who you are to God. So to apply. Scripture. I would suggest starting with Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is one of the most significant identities. Like it's just one identity statement in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. I would start with Romans chapter 8. I would read it every day and just keep reading it. And then just keep writing down what does this word say about me in Christ? 
What, what is the Bible saying? What is God saying about me? And I would personalize it, and I would write out, I am, and then whatever it says in the text. Does that make sense? I would start in Romans chapter 8, and I would read it over and over. And, and by the way, I did this. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, read it over and over and over and over and over again, and write down all the things that God says about me in Christ. Write it down. Review it. Listen, because the battle for worldview and the battle for your identity is such that no one walks into battle without weapons. No one walks into battle without armor. Does that make sense? Just to use the illustration. And if, I, if we don't know who we are according to Scripture and the revelation of the Holy Spirit as we read the text, then how do we suppose that we will survive well in the world that is constantly telling us who, who it thinks we should be? So main application, go to the Word and write down, this is what the Bible says, this is what God says I am in Christ. Second application. Some of you this morning need to commit to Jesus afresh. Some of you need to take your sin and brokenness and come to Jesus on the cross and exchange your brokenness for his righteousness. You need to come to Jesus this morning. For some of you, that may be for the first time. For some of you, that may be the hundredth time. But I want to encourage you to come again to the good shepherd who died for you and is saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you need to come fresh to Jesus, to commit to Jesus again, to say, Jesus, I am yours. My primary identity is I am yours, Jesus. And I am committing myself fresh to you today. Third application, final application. Some of you, and I've, I've, I've felt this all week. I felt it while I was preaching. Some of you, you, you hear what I'm saying and you hear what the Scripture says, that, that God sees you as valuable and precious and He rejoices over you. You hear these words, but you're not experiencing it here. And by the way, I get that. Like, I, I've been in seasons like that. Yes, God loves me. I know it here, but I don't know that he loves me here. Does that make sense? Like, he delights in me. He's, he sees me as valuable and precious. That's an identity that I have. I'm valuable and precious to God, but it's still here. I heard it from some dude preaching on a Sunday morning, but it's not here. And I believe the Father wants to take it from here to here for you. So those are the three applications. One, go after Scripture this week. Two, come fresh to Jesus today. And three, ask the Father to take these identity statements. You are precious and valuable to me, he says, and I love you. To take it from here to here. So will you stand with me? I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to sing one final song.
I encourage you, just because words are up on the screen and we're singing a song, I would encourage you, don't, if you feel led to sing, great. If you feel led to just, I'm doing business with the Lord, I'm asking the Father to take this from my head to my heart, then go ahead and, you don't have to sing, just begin to talk to the Lord. I'm also going to invite prayer teams to come up, to come up as well. If you need prayer, I'm going to invite you to come and to receive prayer. But we're just going to spend our last couple of moments here letting the Father, the Son, and the Spirit speak to us. So let me pray for us. Then we're going to finish our time together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you are our creator and our redeemer, Jesus. Thank you that you get to tell us who we are and that that God-spoken identity is the most important thing about us. And I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. For everyone hear my voice, Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would come and rest and move upon us. I ask Jesus that you would come, that you would embrace these lost sheep and lost coins who you love, who you are wooing and drawing and seeking diligently, who you delight in, who you are drawing to yourself. Jesus, would you come? So Jesus, we honor you as the good shepherd. Abba, we honor you as the Father who has loved us from the foundation of the world. So we come to you, Father, Son, and Spirit, to receive who we are. So we come to you. And all God's people said, amen. Let's just spend a few moments seeking the Lord. Father, we tell you that you are perfect in all of your ways. Jesus, we tell you that you are perfect in all of your ways. Holy Spirit, we tell you that you are perfect in all of your ways. And I ask for our church, I ask for my brothers and sisters, I ask for these here. that your perfect love that casts out fear, that your perfect love would be manifest on my brothers and sisters this week. I bless you. I bless you with knowing, not just in your mind, but in your heart, I bless you with knowing that you are precious and valuable to the Lord. I bless you with knowing that he says, you are mine and I love you. And I bless you this week as competing identities come at you <laughs> from outside and inside. I ask Holy Spirit that you would speak clearly to us and remind us again who we are in Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Church family, you are loved and you are dismissed. Be at peace. Be at peace. You are dismissed.